a good evening. Let's stand all over the house this evening. We're going to open up with a word of prayer and jump right into worship. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we welcome you in this place this evening. We ask that you would inhabit the praises of your people. Lord, let every note that is played, every song that is sung, be, Lord, for the upbuilding and glorifying of your kingdom. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray and ask. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Let's worship together.
go to heaven one day. Amen, amen. We're going to ask you at this time to take a few minutes and greet those around you in the name of the Lord. And we'll jump right back into worship. God bless you this evening. This evening for worship, we're going to sing a song we sing here sometimes around here that simply just says, I am a friend of God. The Bible says that all throughout Scripture that who the psalmist David said, Lord, who am I that you are mindful of me and that you hear me when I call? And it's a beautiful picture to think about the Lord of heaven who come down and he make residency with us as humanity. So let's sing that tonight. Thank you. 
this be our anthem tonight. I know we may be small in number, but God is in this place. For we can sing in the troubled times. We can sing when we win. I can sing when I lose my steps. I'll fall down again. I can sing because you pick me up.
Father, Lord, we come before you in this house. We know that troubles vanish and hearts are mended in the presence of God. So, Father, tonight, as we stand in the, your house and in your presence, I pray tonight, God, you would do what only you can do. You'd speak to our hearts. You'd help us to hear from heaven. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we already feel your presence in this place. But God, Lord, at the end of this service, we want to be able to say it was good to be in the house of the Lord our God. Father, Lord, we thank you for the presence we have felt this morning and the presence that we feel in this house tonight. God, you just said if two or three agree is touching any one thing, you're in the midst. So, God, there's more of us than two or three in this building, so we know you're in the room. And Father, Lord, we commit the remaining portion of this service into your loving arms and care. It's in Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. And the people of God together said amen. 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 You may be seated briefly. I'm going to ask you to, if you have your Bibles, to turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 107. Psalms chapter 107. Mm. We're going to again reading in verse number 1, verse 1 and 2. Psalms chapter 107, verse 1 and 2. As I was sitting in my office today and was trying to think of all of the things that I wanted to address in this body tonight, and I ask God to give me direction. You know, we're going through a series right now entitled Assignments. We have been going through that, and I started thinking, well, where I wanted to go. For all those joining online, God bless you. We are so glad you're with us. And I went back to the vision of that I have believed the Lord has given us for 2022 through 2023, reach disciple, pray one person, one family, one community at a time. I just love it. Now, maybe you're different than I am, and that's okay. Uh, I would hope you would be, so there's not two of me in this world. God only knew he could only make one of me. If he made two of me, the world was doomed. <laughs> but I love it when God brings his vision to life in the life of a believer and the life of a church. And I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. So a couple of weeks ago when we launched this back in September, one person, one family, one community at a time, reach, disciple, and pray. We've been praying about it. We've been asking God for it. We've been doing all those things. Now, we have visitors that come from time to time, but, you know, they might be somebody's cousin or they may be out-of-town guest or whatever. We, we appreciate that. Well, this morning we had a couple that sat second pew from the front. And I just assumed, based on their location, maybe they knew Chris in April. I just figured, you know, if you're a visitor, you don't normally sit second pew from the front to the preacher. That's a, that is not a recipe for success. You definitely know they had to be of some kind of Pentecostal background, because if they weren't Pentecostal, they ain't sitting up front. <laughs> so uh, I remember when I was at the community revival, a couple nights of the revival, I sat on the back row. Some of people here at the church say, Pastor, why are you sitting on the back row? I said, if the Baptist folks sit in the back row when I, they come to our church, I'm sitting on their back row when I go to their church. And I sat on the back row. But they sat second. I said, well, it must be Chris and April's friend. Well, Chris and April came in, and I watched meet and greet, and they spoke, but they kind of looked like they didn't really know each other. And I was like, that's kind of weird. Normally, if you invite someone to church, you're not going to act like you don't know them when you get there. It's a little uncomfortable. So when church was over today, those people were going out, and they were going out the back door. They picked up their little girl. Uh, she's about 20 months old, out of the nursery. And um, I asked them, I said, um, I said, so now y'all are, you know, 
because I know Miss Mr. Wendell and Miss Mary had visitors from North Carolina that was here on vacation that was with them this morning. I said, y'all, are y'all just guests coming through town? Did you, you know, whatever? And they said, no, sir. And I said, oh, I said, so you guys live near here? Are you friends with somebody or whatever? And they said, well, we don't know anybody here. <laughs> I said, well, good. Uh, I said, um, that's the way we like it sometimes. But I said, so where do you live? And they said, oh, we live out, you know, just up the road here, five, ten minutes up the road. I said, okay. So, Brother James, my brain kicked in. I said, well, I got to know more information about this. This is pretty good right here. So I said, so how'd you find us? I mean, obviously, we got a sign, but what made you what made you stop in? I, I knew it wasn't my good looks and charm, so what was it that brought you into the place? And she said, well, we passed by your church a lot, and we saw the sign for a couple weeks. And every time we passed by, we just, it just feels different. So we went home. For a couple weeks, we started basically scoping you out. We Googled you and found your church website, and then we found your online services and stuff, and we thought, well, we want to see what this place is about. So we've been watching you from afar for a couple weeks, and we finally decided if, 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 if live stream was that good, and it looked like they were having that much fun in church, what would it be like to be there in real time? So we had to come and see what it was like in real time. And I said, are you serious? And she said, yes. And I said, well, you know, obviously, we're so glad to have you. We hope you felt welcome. Come back anytime." And she said, oh, absolutely, and whatever. She walked out. I got in my car today, and I was driving to work. Ram and Mike had already left. And I and immediately, and when I got back to my office today, I thought about this same thing. Reach, disciple, pray. One person, one family, one community type. I don't know them. Never met them. They didn't know anybody in this building. So they said they didn't know anybody their knowledge they came on their own volition accord just prompted by driving by the church multiple times a week and feeling something not only brother james was at one person god brought one family in today and they live in this community <laughs> and i thought lord maybe you sent them by so we could reach them disciple them and pray with them so that you truly will send one person one family one community at a time. It is a beautiful thing when God is in his presence of his people. It is a beautiful thing. And so I began to think, okay, God, so I got assignments. We finished up. Seriously, why pray and the importance of prayer and the assignment of prayer. God, what am I going to do now for Sunday night for the month of, of, of November? We already got assignments in the first part of November. What, what am I going to go with this? And I still don't know where the series is going to go, but immediately the Lord kind of just pricked my spirit, if you will, and said, why don't you just be thankful for what I've done? Don't keep looking for more, per se. Be thankful for what you have, and as you're faithful with what you've been given, I will bless you with more than you can handle. And so I thought, okay, God, I get it. So this might be mean nothing for you tonight. It may not... This sermon may not appease to any of you, and you know what? That is fine. This is me preaching to me today. I sat in my office. I was frantically writing down. I was late to get in the band practice. I'm writing down at 100 miles an hour because I needed to hear this if you didn't, okay? So if you have your Bible, Psalms 107, verse 1 and 2, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to read quickly to uh, sit right back down, but if you'll just rest on your feet just for about a minute or so. I've preached off of this passage before, but not like I believe God's going to do it tonight. Totally different thought that he spun in my head today in my office. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, because he's good. 
I said in my office, thought about that couple today that came, and I thought, God, I didn't do it. I didn't know them. I didn't meet them at Walmart. I didn't invite them. I didn't give them an invite card. I didn't see them at the you know local you know uh, supermarket to say, hey, come to our church. They just showed up. God, you're good. You're so good. And his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Now, you may not feel like you're redeemed, but in my office when I read that and was thinking about the service today and that couple, I thought, Lord, I deserve to tell you thank you because you did it. In that chair today when he told me, why don't you be thankful for what you have and I'll bless you with stuff that you can't handle down the road. Just be thankful what you have. I thought of this scripture. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. So tonight I want to talk about this. It's not just a season, but a lifestyle. Thanksgiving is not just a season. It's something we should be doing every day of our lives by telling God thank you. Heavenly Father to the best of my ability, help me to preach your word to the people of God. Hide me behind the cross of Calvary, anoint these lips of clay that I may decree and declare what thus saith the word of the Lord. God, let us not only be hearers of the word, but doers there likewise. We will forever commit this service, everything that's been done, the things yet to still be done, things that were said, and still to be said into the loving arms of Jesus Christ our Lord and the body of Christ together said amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Now, like I said, let me preface this entire message by saying this may not mean anything to you. Maybe this is God just talking to me today, and you just are going to be my loyal subjects that suffer through this sermon until you get to go to Huddle House when this is over. But the reality of it is, as I sat there and I thought about the events that have unfolded just today, then as I sat in my chair for a few minutes, I began to think of this year. I've thought about things we've walked through, funerals and homegoing services we've done. I thought about people's lives. And I was sitting in my house today at my chair in my house, and Brandon and them were gone this afternoon to do some things, and I was at home alone. And I started thinking about the, the 2022 season. I mean, we're getting close to the end of this thing. We're getting ready to be in 2023 before we know it. I mean, we're we're getting closer by the day. I mean, it's already November, and November's getting busy, and we're already, you know. Uh, one week down, if you will, in November. I mean, we're just we're just clicking the clock. You know, we're just we're just going as fast as we can. And I started thinking about things. I I thought about the life of Bonnie in my chair today. You know, obviously she's home, gone home. But I thought, Lord, you know, you were so good. You gave her quality of life to see her grandchildren a little bit longer. You saved her. You know, you you've done that. I started thinking about people like Sister Laura May, whose whose health is declining and failing, and, and Lord only knows how much longer she may have. But the years of faithfulness of 94 years. She saw her 94th birthday this past weekend, and our last weekend and, and, and just what God has been doing and then the couple that came today and, and didn't know anybody and all that stuff and I started thinking throughout the progression and of, of time if you will and all the things that have happened over the last uh, 11 months of the year if you will all the things God's done family fest and the visitors we received from that and the, the, the you know positive for uh, if you will uh, feedback we got from that and all of the things we've been involved in and the CLM ministries and the hosting graduations and having 133 people in the building and letting them hear the message of Jesus Christ. And Lord knows if we ever have 133 people in this building again, somebody hold the fire marshal out the door so he doesn't come in here and count because we shouldn't have that many people in the building. But God is still good. And, it, and I thought about that and I thought, you know, why is it that we only take, it seems like, one month of the year and one day of that month 
to commemorate a life of thanksgiving. What if God only blessed us one day out of the whole year? And the rest of the year he did nothing. Would your life look different? Mine would. <laughs> God, if God only blessed me on one day of the year and the other 300 and, you know, some 60, you know, three and quarter days that's left of the year or whatever, uh, it, you know, uh, I, I, would, I would probably not have a good life. You see, the reality of it is God doesn't bless me just one day out of a whole year. He blesses me every day of the year. There's a song we sing around here sometimes. I'm sure we'll probably sing it again in November just because of the thing. It, it, the, the, the tag of that song says, He keeps blessing me. He keeps blessing me. He opens my eyes that I can't see. He keeps blessing me. Every day is a day of thanksgiving. Take the time to glorify the Lord today. And that's really the truth. Every day should not, it shouldn't be just something we do on the fourth Thursday of November. Every day should be a day of thanksgiving. December 4th, 1619, 39 settlers arrived in what we now call the state of Virginia. They participated in what was known as America's first Thanksgiving. For two and a half centuries, it was an irregular celebration that just kind of came and went. On October 3rd, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln established what we now call Thanksgiving Day as a national holiday. But prior to that, it was an irregular event. It just, whenever it worked out, they'd had Thanksgiving. It just was what it, it was what it was. I began to think about that, and I thought, you know, I wonder how many times God looks over the bowels of heaven and the portals of glory, and he sees this church, and I'm talking universal, not just specific location here, but the universal church. This building is not the church. This is just the place we meet. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're the church. And I wonder how many times God looks over the portals of heaven and the bowels of heaven and goes, my church has an irregular, thankful heart. How often do we really get up and say, God, I thank you. God, I glorify you. Or is it an irregular event? Is it something that just randomly, every so often, I tell God, thank you? Or is it a lifestyle I live? Because even in the day, the world that we live in, the world we live in, they treat Thanksgiving as a season. It comes, it goes. As soon as it goes, we jump, jump right into Christmas. Some of y'all have already started Christmas. Y'all were waiting for November 1st. Y'all were praying for November. Y'all don't care about October 31st and trunk or treats and all that stuff. You wanted November 1st because pumpkin spice lattes come out, apple ciders come out, and all the radio stations start playing Christmas music. Y'all were waiting for it. Some of y'all have already started decorating. I know it. Been in your house. Y'all are decorating for the thing. I'm still holding on, praise Jesus. I'm trying hard. I'm, thank you. I got two people in the house. I'm holding on. Now, but I, I said nothing wrong with decorating earlier. There's nothing wrong watching your Christmas Hallmark movies if that's what you like to do, praise Jesus, uh, uh, a little bit earlier or whatever. God bless you and drink your, your coffees and things like that. But the world treats Thanksgiving as one day and just move on. We got to get back to the commercializing of Christmas. They don't treat Christmas as a celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior, even though he wasn't born in December, more like March, April, or May, because the shepherds were in the field. But, but the world doesn't see it. They see it as gifts and money and accessories. It's a commercialized event. They don't really want to do much Thanksgiving. They look at Thanksgiving as a day to get off from work and maybe a couple days to go on vacation. But it's not about being thankful. It's about just getting off work. They don't see it. It's just a season. 
But in the life of the believer, our hearts should always look at Thanksgiving not as a day on a calendar or not as a season of life, but a lifestyle we live every morning. There should be times in our lives, if not every day, which we should, but at least on a frequent basis, not an irregular basis, we should get up in the mornings or we should lay down at night saying, God, thank you for another day. Thank you for the air I breathe. Thank you for the car I drive. Thank you for a house I live in. Thank you for my spouse or thank you for my children because every day God's blessing us whether we realize it or not. It's not a season. Being thankful is not always a result of favorable circumstances. Long before December 4th, 1619, men and women of God were offering up thanks before the Lord. I mean, you see it all throughout the Bible. Thanksgiving must be cultivated. It must be a conscious effort. In fact, throughout scriptures we find different people uh, give thanks unto the Lord for different things. David gave thanks unto the Lord for his abundant mercy. His abundant mercies that he, that he gave. The apostle Peter thanked God for the new birth. Having a salvation experience, having Jesus to give you second chances, a new birth. The Apostle Paul, and his writing to the churches in the New Testament, he gave thanks for the glorious hope that we have in Christ Jesus. I'm thankful, like David, for the mercies of God. We sang about it this morning. I'm alive to tell the story of what of I've overcome, the goodness and mercies and the power of his blood. Because if it weren't for Jesus and his mercy, I wouldn't be here today. I'm thankful. I'm like David. I thank him for mercy. I'm like Peter. I thank him for that new birth where Jesus came and he gave me a second chance. And he said, look, you messed up your life. And you know what? You don't. But when I came to an altar of repentance, he forgave me. And any time I messed up after that, when I came back and said, Jesus, you got to help me to get this thing corrected, he always welcomed me back with open arms. I thank him for that. I'm like the Apostle Paul. This world I don't have to put my hope in. I thank God for the glorious hope of Christ Jesus dying on the cross, but also the glorious hope of Him returning, that I don't have to stay here forever. This is not my final place, but one day heaven will be my resting place. There's a lot to be thankful for. The word thanksgiving in King James Bible is used 28 times. Now other translations, they may substitute that word and you may get more or less of that. But in the Bible, according to Strong Concordance and you utilize the King James Bible only on that particular count, 28 times. It's really not the number that I want you to be concerned about, but the frequency. Anytime something is ever repeated in multiple facets throughout the pages of Scripture, it is God's way of trying to show us that it's important. It's something we need to pay cognizant efforts and attention, pay, pay close attention to. You know, we, we read stories in the New Testament. We sometimes get caught up in the, you know, just reading through it real fast. But there's, there's something to be said about the details. When, when Jesus talks about certain numbers, a girl is 12 years old. Jonah was in the heart of the earth, three, uh, in the belly of the great fish, three days. So the Son of Man, that number three is divine completion. That number 12 is a number of a governmental number. And that girl reaching the age of accountability, all those things, if we don't realize that, those are little, little, if you will, golden nuggets that if we read by, we'll just think, well, she was 12 and Jonah was in the belly three days you know we just read over it when there's truth inside of those fine details success I've heard coaches say it in sports all the time the success is in the fine details I can run I can run I can as a basketball coach I can sit on the sidelines and tell them the object of the game is to take this spherical orange ball with black stripes and if that goal up there, the, the, the rim 
of that goal, if I were able to pull the basketball goal all the way down, I could literally put two basketballs side by side inside that net, and they could sit in that net. That's how wide it is, even though it don't look like it 10 feet in the air. It literally is two full-size basketballs in, in, in diameter. And I could sit there and say, the object of the game, just put that ball in that basket and teach them nothing else. But we're going to lose every game. Because all I told them is to score. So they brought it, James. I tell a kid, junior high, never played basketball, take this ball, put it in that goal. You know what he's going to do? He's going to pick up the ball. He's going to walk straight up towards the goal. He's going to stand right under the goal. And he's going to shoot it in the goal. Sounds great. There's only one problem. There's these guys that wear footlocker jerseys. They're pinstripe. They're black and white. They wear black pants and black tennis shoes. And they have this thing called a whistle. It's life-changing when they blow that thing. It changes the whole dynamic of the moment. And those little senior adult men that still want to play basketball but can't play basketball, so now they referee basketball to feel like they're still part of the game, but they can't see because they got bifocals, so they don't see the game the same way I see it from the sidelines. All of a sudden, I hear the blowing of the whistle, and he's like, I'm like, what? Traveling. He's walking. What do you mean he's walking? He didn't dribble the ball. Yes, he put it in the basket, but he waves off the point. You know why? Because it had not, he did what I told him to do. I told him to make sure this orange ball goes into this basket. That's the object of the game. Except I forgot to tell him there are some details in how that works. you got to dribble the ball, not walk with the ball. you got to dribble with your right hand or your left hand, not both hands, because that's called double dribbling. And if the other team gets the ball, while we don't want them to score, you can't push them, you can't shove them, you can't trip them, you can't slap at them. you gotta, you got to hit the ball, not them. Uh, there are fine details to that game. The object of the game is still to put the orange ball in the big hoop. The object is also to get more of your little orange balls into the big hoop than the other team. But you're going to lose if you don't pay attention to the details of the game. The game is to score more, the most points. But the fine details can cost you the game if you don't follow the rules. It's the same way in, the, in life. There are things in our spiritual journey, in our journey of faith, we can't forget that there is something to be said about the details. Of which, you know, we know the object is to go to heaven. We know that. But how? How do I get to heaven? There are details outlined in the pages of Holy Scripture. We know that Jesus said he saves everybody. That's great. But there are details to how that has to happen. You have to admit you are a sinner. You have to believe Christ did what he said on the cross. And then you've got to confess, I messed up this thing and I need a Savior. You don't do that. It doesn't matter that Jesus already died. It doesn't matter that he's already been buried. It doesn't matter that he's resurrected. That's great. If you don't accept him and you don't believe in him and you don't confess him, it doesn't matter. It's in the details. It didn't take away that he's still the redemptive Savior. It just means you didn't follow the rules. So you don't get the prize. You don't get the prize. It's the rules. In Psalms 92, the Bible tells us it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. The Bible, David describes it as a good thing. It's a good thing to thank the Lord. The idea of being thankful is a theme that is found throughout the entire Bible. Countless hymns have been written regarding praise and thanksgiving to honor God. One of the probably most famous 
I would guess you'd say Thanksgiving hymns that's ever been, if you will, penned or, uh, or, or written is a song called Count Your Blessings. You hear it normally all the time around Thanksgiving. You hear it in Baptist, Methodist, Episcopal. You hear this song. Some of the words that you find in there are things like when you're tossed and discouraged, when you're burdened and your cross is heavy, when you're in conflict, you still count your blessings. And the writer goes on to say, you count them, you name them one by one. Count your many blessings to see what God has done. You see, we shouldn't be surprised always by what God has done because we know God is good. You see, when we start confessing and, and proclaiming those promises and declarations of thanksgiving, doubts seem to leave our mind. And God gives us what the Bible talks about, a new song in our heart. We begin to see things differently than we saw them before. You see, counting our blessings, the blessings of God, you can't purchase them. You can't write a blank check and God just gives you more blessings because you gave more money. Now, yes, there's something to be said about giving and tithes and offerings and all of those things. But you can't buy God off. You can't. You can't write a million-dollar check, and all of a sudden God's going to say, well, I'm going to bless you more because you got more money. You can't pay God off. God's not someone to be bribed or bargaining with. You can't buy him. He's God over everything, and he blesses us not because we deserve it, but because he loves us, and there is a distinct difference. We don't deserve half of what, really, we don't deserve anything. But the reality is we don't deserve the blessings of God. We haven't done nothing to deserve them. But he loves us enough to still give them to us even when I don't deserve them. So I begin to think about the early settlers. When they came, they found this new land. Now worship, be free from English oppression and separation of the, the rule of the government and trying to put religious bars on their expression of religion, they found a new land. But, you know, it parallels to the church. This world is not our final resting place. One day, we are going to break away like they did from the oppression of England. One day, we're going to break away from the oppression of this world because heaven is the new land. In fact, the apostle, uh, the, the John the Revelator, and I think it's in John 21, or Revelation 21, he said, Behold, I saw a new heaven. And a new earth coming down out of heaven. And it's talking about how it descended upon the earth. And God freeformed heaven and earth. And all of it was changed. Listen, just like the, the, the early settlers, they left England and they found this new land. There's coming a day we will leave the oppression that we feel in this earth. And we'll leave this sin-sickened world that we're in. And God's going to put us in a new place, a new land. A land beyond compare. A land we can't explain. God's going to put us in a new place where there's no sickness. There's no sorrow. There's no pain. But there's endless joy. He's going to put us in a place where there's no bondage there's no shackles there's no oppression there's no but we have the freedom to express our love and devotion to the king of kings and the lord of lords forever with no holds or bars keeping us from doing so the early settlers they were thankful for the provision of food they were able to find in this new land and at the hands of the natives the bible tells us that we as the church Jesus Christ has given us not only spiritual food, 
but that he provides everything that we ever need of through the power of the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. Whatever we have need of, the Bible says we can ask in accordance to the will of the Father and know that he hears us when we pray. The atoning power of the blood of Jesus Christ provides for us. The early settlers were thankful for the freedom they now were going to experience. The Bible says, whom the Son has set free is made free indeed. It says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall, some translations will say make, some, some translations will say set. But you shall know the truth and be made free. The Bible tells us all throughout Scripture because of what Jesus did, that when Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished, uh, one, one of the writers said he descended into the depths of hell, and he took with him the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Basically, he walked up to hell's door, knocked on the door, and said, Satan, I'm going to need those keys back. You held them long enough. The reality of it is when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, we no longer are bound by sin, but we now walk in newness of life. For all things have passed, old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. I trade my old tattered garments for robes of righteousness. I trade my, my, my garments of depression for garments garments of praise. I trade my garments of hurt for garments of joy. I trade my garments of stress for garments of peace. God gives me freedom in the name of Jesus. The early settlers, they thank God for a safe journey. The Bible tells us that when the time of this life comes that we succumb to the Uber driver known as death and it comes knocking at our door. One songwriter described it like this, but he, he got the idea from Scripture, we won't have to cross Jordan alone. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He will never leave us nor forsake us, even if he has to dispense angels at his at our, at, to our beckoning call and at the finality of life. We are not going to be absent from this body in the presence of the Lord. We're not going to have this season where God abandoned us. He will walk us across that Jordan swelling tide all the way through to the end. In Psalms 105, verse 1, the very first line of Psalms 105 and verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call on his name. Psalms 106, verse 1, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endureth forever. We read Psalms 107. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Three consecutive chapters in a row. The very first line, the very first verse that were penned was, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. He obviously wanted us to catch on to something. Give thanks. Thanks to the Lord. I read to you in our reading in Psalms 107 verse 2 that once we realize what God has done, the Bible said in chapter 107 verse 2 that the let the redeemed of the Lord acknowledge it and say so. Say so. You see, Thanksgiving can take on many, being thankful can take on many forms. It's all about a matter of perspective, you know. To some folks, Thanksgiving can be a, a, a certain dish that somebody makes them, or pies, cakes, dishes, whatever. For some people, it might be a gift. Some people may be thankful that they have a spouse that can fix cars. Or Thanksgiving takes on different forms. 
But I came across two guys that their view of Thanksgiving was a little bit different than what probably ours is. So if you don't find yourself in this particular situation, you should be thankful that you're not like these two gentlemen. These two gentlemen were walking through a field when they came across an enraged, angry bull. Instantly, they realized, uh-oh, we're in trouble. So they darted as fast as they could to the nearest fence post. The storming bull, already angered and enraged, followed them in hot pursuit. They realized they weren't going to make it there in time. So terrified, while running and panting for every amount of breath, one man shouted to his friend, Put up a prayer now, John. We are in for it. Ask God to help us. John answered, panting, I can't. I have never made a public prayer before in my life. I've never prayed in front of people before. I don't know how to do this. The other man implored, you got to do it. We're in for it. Help. you got to call on somebody. The bull is almost on us. As John is panting and he's trying to get through, he said, all right, I'll pray the only prayer I know. It's the one my father used to always say at the dinner table. Oh, Lord, for what we are about to endure, make us truly thankful. See, in that situation, it's comical. But sometimes that's the lot in life. Sometimes we go through seasons where we have to endure things. Sometimes whatever we have to endure, sometimes we have to thank God that he helped us get through whatever season that may have been. There are times, whether it's finances, whether it's marriages, whether it, whatever it may be, there are times in our lives, there are seasons we don't find them as pleasantful seasons. There are times we have to look up to heaven and say, but Lord, even though I had to endure it, I didn't endure it, have to endure it alone. Thank you for bringing me through. Whatever season I find myself in, oh Lord, make me thankful. For a child of God, Thanksgiving is more than pecan pies, turkey and dressing and football. We're to be thankful. We should be thankful not because God gives us stuff, but because he's good. Miracles and divine favor are attached to the life of Thanksgiving. Psalms 116 and 12 says, what shall I render unto the Lord? For all his benefits towards me. In verse 13 he says I'll pray to God. In verse 14 he says I'll repay him with my life. And in verse 17 he answers and says I will offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving unto the Lord. Psalms 116. So very quickly. There are three things that I just want to point out. And I'm going to highlight them and move on. We're not going to expound on them. We should thank God for all the things he's brought us out of in the past. I've often said to people when I've talked to them, imagine if God hadn't found you where you'd be today. Just think about that for a moment. I don't want you to have to answer that. I'm not trying to incriminate you. But if God didn't find you, what would life look like now? Some of you guys and gals maybe as well. I don't want to discriminate here. But some of you guys I know for sure have served in the military. If you didn't know Jesus... What would your career look like in the military if Jesus wasn't already living in it? <laughs> it could be different. There are people that may be watching online or in this house today. Maybe you used to drink before you got saved. Maybe you used to be a partier. I, you know, I don't know. But if you never met Jesus, what would you look like today? 
it probably would be a lot different than what we see right now. So there's a lot of things in our past. Isaiah 25 verse 1 says, Oh Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have done, past tense, you have done wonderful things. The counsels that you have given of old have been proven faithful and true. From the beginning of time, even till now, God's word remains the same. It's been faithful and true. What has God done in your past? Maybe he's saved you, sanctified you, filled you with his Holy Spirit, healed you, blessed you financially, whatever it may be. If anything that happened prior to the last 38 seconds that I watched that clock is considered the past. So this morning, when you left church, if you had the means and mechanisms and resources to go home, have gas in the car, maybe go out to eat or maybe buy food, and, and you had food today at some point, God blessed you in your past. Because you you're not eating it now, that happened in the past. Even if it was still today, it was in the past. Can't go back and do it again. But then I want you to think, be reminded that we have to thank God for what he's doing even right now. Yeah, we can thank him for what he's done. Thank you for the church you brought here in 1994. And, you know, and thank you for God, you know, for bringing us financially along and growing and keeping the church going. Thank you for all the things that you've done in our past. But what about the present? Because I'm all about supporting and, and, and honoring the past. But if you live in the past, you'll get caught in the past and you'll end up becoming the past tense of the church. There comes a point that you can live in the past for a while. But if you live there forever, you'll never get to the desired goal of God. The Bible even says that. We don't like to always read it this way. But any man who puts his hand to the plow but always goes like this, he's what? Not fit for the kingdom. You can't always look in the rearview mirror. There's a reason the rearview mirror is smaller than the windshield. Because if you looked at the rearview mirror all the time, you crash the car or hit something you shouldn't hit. The windshield is larger because the idea is for you to keep going forward, not living in the back. I don't know about you, but I hate backseat drivers. They are the most knowledgeable people, but yet they're not doing the job. They're not up here holding on to the steering wheel, seeing how it's pulling, seeing how the vibrations are, feeling the wheels going at 80 miles an hour, riding up on the truck, seeing out of the rearview mirror the semi-truck coming over behind me, but the guy in front of me, I'm in his blind spot, he's coming over, but all of a sudden they're like, well, if you just slow down, you wouldn't have that problem. The guy behind me's on my tail. I can't slow down. It's always amazing to me how they know how to drive, but they're not at the wheel. Well, God is still good, isn't he, church? Apparently, Brother Mike's had some of those guys in his car before. The reality of it is, though, and even in our present, we can't stay in the past, but we have to thank God for the present. You know, Family Fest 2022, do you know what it is now? It's in the past. But today is the present. We can thank God for what he did in the services this morning, but that's the past. But tonight, before I... Right now, and even before I hit it to the pillow uh, tonight, we can thank God for what he's doing currently. The gas we have in our car to leave this place, the money we have to go to the bank, or the money we have in the bank to go eat out after church, like what we can do presently. God is still doing great things. Psalms 145, verse 2 through 5 says things like this. Every day I will bless the Lord. I will praise thee. God is great, wonderful in his works. I meditate them day and night. God is still great and greatly to be praised. But finally, Miss Carol, as you make your way, not only do we should always be thankful to God for the past and the present, 
But there are future things, promises. I don't know why that got spelled wrong. Future promises of God. There are things that God has promised, but they're not here yet. I don't believe we've seen Joel chapter 2 come to fruition yet. I'm not saying it's not coming. It's coming. But I haven't. I don't think we've seen in the last days, saith the Lord, I'll pour out my spirit on sons and daughters. Old men will see visions. Young men will dream dreams. And even upon the handmaidens and servants, I will. From, I don't know if I've seen it all happen yet, Brother James. But I believe it's coming because that's what God said he's going to do. Jesus said that I'm going to blow the trumpet. Gabriel's going to blow the trumpet and I'm coming back. I haven't seen him come in the clouds of glory. I haven't heard the roll of God that's called up yonder. I haven't heard Gabriel blow the trumpet. I haven't seen him yet. But I believe he's coming. I've never seen streets of gold. I've never seen jasper walls. I've never seen gates of pearl. I've never seen mansions that I own. But I believe it's coming. I haven't seen it. I haven't experienced it. I haven't tangibly touched it. But I believe it happened. I believe it's there. I believe it's awaiting my arrival. See, Joel 2.21 says, Be glad, rejoice to the Lord, for He will do great things. Joel 2.21 Be glad and rejoice for the Lord, for He will do great things. Will do means futuristic. He will. He's not doing. He will do great things. So not only has God done great things, not only is God doing great things, but Joel said God will do great things. He's the God of the past. He's the God of the present. He's the God of the future. How do I know this? For the Bible says in Hebrews, for my God is the same yesterday, past. He's the God of today, present. And he's the God forevermore, future. There are things I have not experienced, but I should still be thankful to God for the great Roman statesman, great Roman statesman, Cicero, said this. He said, "A thankful heart is not only the greatest virtue of all, but it is the parent of all other virtues." Meaning, it gives birth to all other virtues. Thankful heart is not only the greatest, but it is the parent of all other virtues. That was a Roman statesman hundreds of years ago that said that. That a heart of thanksgiving will change everything around it. Our attitudes say a lot about our heart's condition. What is in our hearts? See, you might be the kind of person that tomorrow when you go Mondays or Brianna and my grocery shopping days. We spend every Monday grocery shopping. That's like our little thing. I don't know if it's really strengthening our marriage and making us better or it's causing up more conflict and making us hate each other. But she's grabbing one thing and I'm grabbing the other. It's the same thing, two different brands. And she said, I'm not eating that. That's the off brand. I said, I'm not paying for that because it's overpriced. I don't know if that's helping us or hurting us, but we're working through that with salvation and fear and trembling. Just to let you know, uh, right now I'm losing in that battle. I just want to go on record. I'm losing right now. Duke's mayonnaise is in the house, and there are certain things I have not got great value yet, okay? So we're working through that, fear and trembling. The reality of it is, if I go to Walmart tomorrow in Somerville, 
because we have to go to Somerville because when that's over, I have to take Brianna to BJ's because BJ's has cheaper gas and she's got to have gas for work. So can't go to any other Walmart, even though Goose Creek Walmart's cheaper than Walmart in Somerville. We got it. We don't want to spend the extra couple cents in gas because we got to get the gas at BJ's. So we might as well kill two birds, one stone. I know none of y'all have that kind of marriage. God's working on me, okay? I got an app, and I'll be like, you do know that's five cents at the other store. And she said, well, I'm paying the five cents. I have a job. Now leave me alone, and we move on. End of the story. But when I drive to Walmart tomorrow, and I'm in Somerville because we know that that's the closest thing to purgatory is the Walmart in Somerville. Because they park all the way out there to where the old First Citizens Bank used to be. And you know good and well, everybody in there don't need to be there at the same time. They just they just killing time. I'm thinking, where are rest, where's all these people from? And I get out of my car, Sister Glenda, I could be the kind of guy that goes, bless God. I know everybody in there ain't handicapped. I know everybody in there don't need a front row parking. Some of them lazy, sorry rascals up there probably don't even have a handicap sticker. And they took the handicap sticker. And I got to walk 30 miles to get to Walmart to buy Tostita chips for the night. I get frustrated that I'm having to walk all the way from First Citizens parking lot to Walmart. But then it dawns on me, Sister Ellen, this. But I have two legs that some people don't. Like a paraplegic who has his limbs, whether it's through military service or through diabetes or anything, they're gone. So to get out of a car put on that prosthetic leg, maybe have to get in a wheelchair, maybe they don't even own a prosthetic leg. You know, it's kind of hard to continue to have to push a wheelchair by myself if I don't have help all the way from First Citizens parking lot. When I could have, when I might have took the front row park, they're wheeling their wheelchair all the way down the road to get to Walmart, and I got two good legs, and I didn't want to have to walk a couple extra feet, even though I had two of them on my, on my leg. I could sit there and be disgruntled and think to myself, well, you know, I, I don't want to have to walk. Then I could think to myself, the guy that's walking on a bike or riding in on a bicycle and he's got a basket and he goes in and gets a few items and then he gets on the bicycle and he starts pedaling all the way across the bridge and he's trying to pedal back towards Sangaree. And I could think to myself, God, I don't know where he lives, but that's a long journey probably for him. And I have a gas-powered vehicle that takes me home in 15 minutes just like that thankful that I have the ability to go buy I could be disgruntled but I also could be thankful that I have the ability to go out and buy my own groceries when so many people are dependent on someone else to bring them their groceries so it's all about perspective you know just the other day I got my my, my particular uh, heating and air company or heating company is with Dominion Gas the old SCNG but Dominion Gas some of you may have uh, other other people but when I get my Dominion gas bill and my, my electric bill from Burkeville Electric Co-op, I could open it up, Sister Beulah, and enrage be like, these crooks, jerks, I'm not paying for your log cabin up in the mountains. I could be mad about it. I could get angry when I write that check and, or pay automatic draft out of the bank account and be like, right, this is ridiculous. I could. Or I could think, Brother Mike, Thank God I have a house to warm versus a cardboard box. I don't need Berkeley Electric Co-op or Dominion Gas for a cardboard box because, well, quite frankly, they don't service those kinds of homes. I've never seen Berkeley Electric Co-op or 
or Dominion Gas run power under the bridges of Charleston for those people that are laying up under the Charleston Bridge there near the hospitals. I see a lot of blankets and I see a lot of cardboard boxes used as pillows and blankets, but I don't see any electric crews going down there trying to make sure power is restored in the night. But my power gets restored when it goes out or I have a home to heat. Then I, 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 could, I could be disgruntled. Then I could think, well, praise the Lord, I'm at least warm. And not only do I have a house too warm, I am warm. I can, I can live in a place where it is warm. And then the ultimate slap in the face is, Brother Randy, when I write the check, or I do the automatic draft and I send it off and I'm disgruntled. Sister Tina went to, says processed and paid. And I realized that there was money in that bank account that actually could cover it. I can be mad all day long. But there are some people they can't afford to even pay their light bill. Or their electric bill. Maybe they don't have a home to heat. Maybe they, if they do have a home, maybe it's not, they don't even have service to it. And if they do have service to it, maybe there's not enough insulation. And it's just getting blown out into the, and maybe they can't afford it. There's a lot. But I had the, not only the home to heat, not only was I warm, but I also had the ability to pay for it. I can be disgruntled or I can be thankful that God still provided. I'm not saying that we should just, anytime somebody takes advantage of us, we should just be like, well, I'm thankful that they could. No, but there are sometimes we have to look at it from a different perspective. The Apostle Paul, and I conclude with this, we're going to prayer. The Apostle Paul told the church at Thessalonica, he said, in everything, that means all, any, thoroughly, whatever, in everything, give thanks. Everything. The good, thank you. The not so good, thank you. The in between, thank you. In everything, all, any, thoroughly, give thanks. Express gratitude this is a statement I, I have written down in my notes months ago and some other things, and I've got it in other places that sometimes it will serve as a reminder to me, and I always think about it during Thanksgiving. But I ran across this one-line phrase that I read somewhere. I don't even know who the author was that actually penned the phrase. I'd love to shake his hand. But here was the line that, it, that I, stuck out to me. It says, express gratitude, not your attitude. And it's stuck. I can get mad about a lot of things. Or I can be thankful about a lot of things too. I can get an attitude because things don't go my way. Or I can be thankful that at least I have the abilities to have opinions. Or abilities to think. Or abilities to live. I can have an attitude or I can show gratitude. Express gratitude, not your attitude. In everything you do, give thanks. So this season, my challenge to all of us at the body of Christ is don't let this be a season. Just trying to get through November 24th, I believe. Let's get through it, get it over with, get all our pumpkin pies and pecan pies baked so we can get on to Christmas. How about we make Thanksgiving a lifestyle? Then in June of 2023, one day we'll say to the Lord, thank you. July, thank you. March, thank you. April, when March, April, when Easter rolls around, thank you, Jesus. When it's the dog days of summer and late August and we're sweating and we're thinking, oh my God, this is the hottest it's ever been. I'm going to melt. I'm never going to live. Oh my goodness, I'm never going to see the light at the end of the day. When you get in the car and it's 117 degrees on your uh, your odometer there and, you're, and it's reading 117, you're thinking, man, I could just fry my egg right here on my dashboard and bake my cookies here too. 
when you crank the car after about 30 seconds after it warms up when it starts to start cooling down because there's a thing called AC you own while you're complaining about how hot it is going Lord I can't wait till the fall comes be thankful God gave you air conditioning to get through till you get to fall express gratitude not your attitude let's stand all over the house tonight Heavenly Father, to the very best of my ability, I have conveyed your word to the people of God. Help the words that have been spoken today challenge us, chastise us if necessary, but ultimately change us to experience Jesus. The full pardon of our sins, the fellowship of your sufferings. God, let us develop not a season of thanksgiving, but a lifestyle of thanksgiving. God, help us to see things from a different perspective. That would bring glory and honor to you as Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, I pray tonight that you would go with these precious constituents that are in this house and those that have joined online. May you bless them and keep them. Your face shine upon them. Be gracious to them. Lift up your countenance towards them. Give them the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. And guard our hearts until you come again. And Father, let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable, pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength our blessed Redeemer. To that we will forever give you the praise and the glory and the honor that is due in your name. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. The body of Christ said, Amen. Before you're dismissed, don't forget all of that. We're going to have Brother Randy pray the benedictory prayer, but don't forget, we're still, for the month of November, collecting, uh, at the end of the month, we'll take an offering for the Retired Minister's Fund, but also the Harvest Festival. Anything you want to give towards the Church God Home for Children, just designate it on your envelope. Just put Home for Children, Harvest Festival. Um, and at the end of the month, we'll cut that check and send it to them uh, for uh, their Harvest Festival drive. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night at 7 o'clock for Bible study. Brother Randy, would you close us out in prayer?